I think when it comes to identifying influences, the best the, the the best ones to work with are like the ones that that suit your target market that you're looking for, and it takes trial and error. My name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn what is the golden trifecta rule for choosing products, how to identify influencers for Instagram influencer marketing, and what does an ideal influencer marketing deal look like? Before we get into our show, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Shopify App Store. Shopify apps help you easily customize and add features to your store to make it your own. The App Store hosts over 4,000 apps built specifically for Shopify businesses. Shopify developers all over the world built these apps to help you save time and unlock a range of new features, from showing your Instagram feed on your store to offering loyalty rewards and more. Check out shopify.com slash app store for the latest Shopify apps. Today I'm joined by Emily and Nathan from Healthish. Healthish sells health-based products that help you live a healthish lifestyle starting in 2016 and is a seven-figure business. Welcome, Emily and Nathan. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, Thanks so much for having, having us. <laughs> yeah, so the story started with, I think it was you, Emily, that wanted to start, just had an idea, wanted to, had, had, had a desire to start an online physical product business and you had a few ideas. Is that how the inspiration struck you? Yeah, so um, I have a back. I have a background in accounting. So um, I just quit my um, yeah job, my corporate job, and um, yeah, just I spent six months after that, just completely in denial about not knowing what I was going to do next. Um, yeah, I just really didn't want to go back to the corporate life. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, after seeing Nathan um, working on his own business. I was really inspired to start up something of my own. So yeah, he encouraged me to start an online business with a physical product and that was Healthish. Yeah, so I did the Start and Stale course um, taught by Greta Van Riel. So she was one of the um, winners of the Shopify Build Your Business Award a few years mm-hmm. ago. So she's a real expert in this field. So it was really helpful because just to get the business up and running because I know it can be overwhelming and daunting um, to begin with. Right. So for someone that is starting from scratch like you, that, that might be listening out or that like you did, that might be listening out there, what were some of the most important and critical skills that you felt like had the most impact early on when you were starting your business? So for me, it was just mainly like persevering with the idea and also just, yeah, um, just always being on top of like, the steps on how to, yeah, manufacture a product and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know whether that answers the question, but yeah, and basically, so you 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 obviously wanted to start an online business, a physical product business, and uh, decided on a couple ideas, right? What so for, first, you know, we gave a quick introduction for for the both of you, but tell us about the the flagship product that that you guys have. Yeah, so the flagship product is a time-marked water bottle. So one thing uh, that Emily found was that a lot of people um, can't treat, like, can't keep up with their daily like uh, hydration levels, and uh, there there wasn't really a, a physical product or a bottle that looked great that that allowed you to do that. So on one half of the bottle. 
Uh, it has the first half of the day and then the second half of the bottle, it has the uh, like the other half of the day. So if you drink, they say you should drink two litres of water a day. So if you fill it up two times and follow the time indicators on the bottle, you can actually get your, your daily intake of two litres of water a day. So that's the flagship product. Yeah, I definitely took, obviously took a look at the, the website and the product is certainly ingenious. I think that it, it makes a lot of sense, but it sounded like you also had other ideas. Are you willing to share what some of these other ideas are and why this one in particular made the cut? Yeah, of course. It's a bit embarrassing, but <laughs> I came up with like makeup brush ideas, like a holder, um, iPhone accessories, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Just... Um, yeah, I, I wrote a list of 50 um, product ideas. Um, can't remember them off the top of my head, but those were, you know, the ones that, you know, I like I was most interested in. Um, I decided on the bottle just because, yeah, low cost to produce, yeah, just easy to manufacture. So I think that was one of the main reasons uh, we started it. Um, also the fact that I'm always dehydrated, so yeah. Solve your I can own problem. Kind of practice what I preach. Yeah. So, what was what what is your what, what was your process for like ideation? I think a lot of listeners out there might also have the same like, desire as you, where they want to start an online business, a physical product business, but they have a lot of ideas that they've kind of tossed around their head and are maybe wanting to sit down and really create that master list to work off of. What was what is your recommendation for people out there that are stuck on choosing an idea and just kind of want to create like a hit list of top choices that they might want to work off of? Yeah, so I don't know whether Nathan wants to talk about, there's this rule called the golden trifecta rule in um, the start and scale course. So, Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll jump in, Felix. So, um, so look, I have another company, uh, it's called Founder, and uh, we uh, produce all sorts of content um, around, you know, uh, entrepreneurship. And um, we also do online courses, and uh, we have like at least 20 plus courses, and one of them is uh, taught uh, by one of my friends and uh, she she's really successful at e-commerce and she's the person who won Shopify Build a Business. So, um, so one thing that she taught Emily when it comes to, you know, finding ideas is, yeah, you need to find what Emily said is the golden trifecta where you need to find a product that's lightweight so it's it's easy to ship and the cost of shipping is is, is low it has high perceived value and it's it's you know relatively cost affordable to produce and it's trending so what emily did was like um she worked through like at least you know 20 to 50 ideas and you just got to be just really kind of realistic on if you think that idea can really do well um one thing that i think was really important when choosing the list of ideas for me personally not only had it does it have to be easy to ship and lightweight and cost affordable to produce with a high perceived value but it has to be a trending product because um yeah look i think i think uh you know if you want to create a you know successful physical product business um one thing that's really really important from my perspective in the business to consumer space is you know being able to to move the product and sell it online, and that's where Instagram comes into play. So it's a very very visual product, and we kind of had an idea that you know a lot of people spend money on um, things like drink bottles, and they're prepared to spend 
uh, more money than than you know uh, just like like a, a kind of a they don't see it as a I guess you could say a everyday product. People are prepared to spend a premium amount like a pay, pay a premium price for a fashionable product or a product that looks great. And uh, yeah, so that's why I thought that like you know it was a really good product. So. You just yeah, I think you need to really focus on you know what can you what looks visually good because I think being able to sell on Instagram has been a really big game changer for us as well and it, yeah follows what I said like the golden trifecta. Got it. okay, so the golden trifecta lightweight, which means easy to ship, high perceived value, and cost affordable to produce, and then sound like you guys are later later another one on top, which is that should be a trending product. So I want to talk about the high perceived value. How do you how do you I guess evaluate that when you are looking at your list of ideas? How do you evaluate whether a product has high perceived value or not? Well, I think. I think one thing that's really, really important is doing your customer research on what people are buying or what your like competitors are buying. So we know that there's other companies out there that that are making like a lot of money selling water bottles. Um, and I knew that like if we made the design really, really good, um, which which I think it is, and maybe um you know uh, I, like it's something we're often complimented by with with the the healthish water bottle that the value perception would be high. So I think well, that's a really good thing for people to take away is making sure yeah you spend a lot of money. Like let me say that again. Sorry, I think that's a really good thing for people to take away is like taking the time to to you know make sure your product design is really good because that really ramps up the perceived value. And sorry, Emily. Yeah, so I think one of our um, selling points that like that differentiates us between all the other um, competitors or, of water bottles, water bottle brands, um, is that we have the time indicators. So people are willing to pay more for that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the product design you mentioned, like the 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 markers on the water bottle and and probably things like packaging, all of that goes into product design. What was that process like? How did you how did you make sure that you had a, a product that was visually stunning, visually attractive, so that which we'll get into in a bit about how important that is in a, a much more visual world like uh, like the world of Instagram. So tell us more about that process of designing the product itself. Yep. So I worked closely with a graphic designer. At first, I was um, kind of cheap and did it myself <laughs> and then mm-hmm. with Nathan's critical feedback yeah he he said that oh no we need to get someone else involved um that's a nice way to put it <laughs> yeah yeah so um look I think one thing when it comes to the product design from from our experience is to find just a really really great designer and be prepared to spend you know that few thousand dollars extra just to make the product awesome so yeah, that's one thing that um, has been a real game changer for us because there's a lot of drink bottles or water bottles out there, but we've been able to make one that looks like absolutely awesome, really have high perceived value, and in turn, you know, it's become a product of choice. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about finding a great designer. Where did you look to find your designer? This was actually um, a mutual friend that uh, helped me with uh, another like my other company. Um, so I was kind of fortunate. He was uh, ex-head of design at 99designs. However, um, 
you don't have to know anybody. The, from my experience, the best place to find incredible designers is using a, a, a website called Dribble or Behance.net. So these are like online resumes for graphic designers. So all, what does what designers do is they put their best work that they're most proud of on like Dribble or Behance.net, and you can run searches for all sorts of things and you can you know, manually reach out to these designers and yeah, that's the best place to find incredible designers and some at a really cost affordable rate. If you're out there, if you're a listener out there and I think a lot of them, a lot of people might feel this way where you don't feel like you have a design mind, you can't really tell for sure if the masses will appreciate the, the designs that you personally like. When you out when you're out there looking for a designer on Dribble or Behance, how do you identify like, what is a good designer or a poor designer if your goal is to create a product that is visually stunning to your target market? Yeah, well, look, I think um, one thing that's that's kind of, you know, design or, or something that looks good is 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 an opinion of, of like, you know, it's, it's very personal. But I think one thing that's really important, and this is something we should mention actually, Emily, was – when we got the design mock-ups done, like we both love the design, but we actually asked other people. And I yeah. think that's really, really important. Getting the samples or not even getting the samples, getting the photos or the images or the mock-ups and showing people and actually asking for open, honest feedback. Even if you don't know the person or asking randoms or friends of friends or putting on you know, your personal Facebook page, getting as much honest feedback as possible, that's very important. Yeah, because if I asked you, it would, you know, be a biased opinion. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was, I don't like to admit this, but I used to be an Instagram influencer. So <laughs> I used, I, like I um, had my audience provide feedback on whether the they liked the idea, whether they would buy the product and just like general feedback on the design. So, yeah, I was lucky um, to have that, um, yeah, audience to reach out to. But um, yeah, I joined all these health communities on Facebook groups um, just to validate my idea as well. And then um, I used the Start and Scale community um, because I know there's a lot of like people going through the same um, thing with starting an online business and yeah, finding their product as well. So that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think uh, you mentioned that you did have to kind of head start by being an Instagram influencer. But if you are not out, if you're not an Instagram influencer out there, you're still saying that you can go into these communities and still get the feedback you needed. Now, do you remember what kind of feedback you got and like, what changes did that lead to? Yep. So we had a few different colors of the bottle. Yeah, so we had a black one and a white one. And yeah, people just lean more towards the cleaner, like white, white looking version. Yeah. As some people said that it looks like a baby's bottle with the, with all the time markings. So mm. yeah. And then people said it looked like vodka bottles. <laughs> <laughs> with the frosted. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay, yeah. so do, when you when you were putting these mock-ups or prototypes out there to get feedback, how did how did you how do you ask for it in a way that is going to get you the honest feedback and not just you know people being nice? I think in these Facebook groups and stuff like that, or if you're in a you know a community of like-minded people, um, I I think I think if you just you know put yourself out there and just openly ask for honest feedback, I think sometimes people are prepared to be pretty critical because. You know, everyone has an opinion um, and you just got to try and get it from as many sources as possible. So try random Facebook groups, try your own personal Facebook profile, Instagram profile. 
Um, and then, yeah, just ask close friends or family, but really push them just to be honest with you. Um, and I think once you get all of that, and then if you really want to push yourself, I would highly, highly recommend, but I know it can be something difficult. If you do have a sample, you could just ask random people. I know um, during the time of this recording, that might be a bit difficult because we're sure. all in lockdown. But um, yeah, look, I think uh, I've heard stories of people doing that and uh, they've had a lot of success. Got okay, now when you are, once you get this kind of feedback and you're ready to go back and make changes, when you're going back to working with the designer, either for the first time or to go back to get changes made or to provide the feedback that is, how do you work with the designer in a way that gives that gives direction, you know, based on where you want to go, but then also gives them that runway to for them to do what you hired them for. Um, look, from my experience, uh, when it comes to um, working with designers, um, I think the best thing you can do is find somebody that you really, really love their portfolio of work. And if you really love their portfolio of work and they're a really great designer, like a lot of the times what will happen is there actually won't be as much iteration or changes as as, as like you like as necessary. Um, so that that's that's always been my thing is like how do we find a really good designer uh, that has a lot of experience that you know can kind of quickly intuitively work out what you want, you show them examples and then the first version is hopefully around 70 to 80 percent there. So you're not kind of you know, butchering and, and going up and back and have like 15 different iterations, which I actually have experienced as well with designers that perhaps aren't, um, you know, up, up to kind of the kind of, uh, I guess, skill set that, that I'd be looking for. So, um, yeah, I think it starts with the designer and their skill set. And if, if they're, you know, really solid, then you can, yeah, you can get it to like 70, 80%. And then, yeah, coming from an iteration standpoint, it's kind of like, you know, like, hey, I really like this part, I really like that part, I really like this part. But, yeah, like um, from my experience, designers are, yeah, good ones are really easy to work with and they get it, uh, you know, almost there usually on the first time. Got it. Okay, so the most critical part of working with a designer is to spend that upfront work finding the right designer. Yeah, from my experience and then also – um, being prepared to spend a little bit of extra dollars uh, just because, you know, um, great talent is is not always cost affordable or really cheap. But you can, you know, find a great designer and get, a you know, your product designed for a few thousand dollars. Like um, we're not talking tens of thousands of dollars mm. here, like only a few thousand dollars, right? But you've got to find, you know, you've got to find a mixture of both where you're not paying that person like a hundred dollars, right? Like you've got to, you've got to be prepared you go, you know what, this person's really good. I want to really compensate them for their talents, but it'll make the process a hundred times easier. Because yeah. like um, Emily, maybe you should, yeah, like Emily's working on a couple of other products right now and working with a different designer, but this person's really good. The first mock-ups that um, she sent, like just amazing, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. so she sent about, um, I don't know, 15, 16 designs for the new um, bottle. And um, I just, told her my favorite ones and then from there we'll just stick to those kind of um yeah designs and yeah just keep working on those and seeing what we come up with Mm -hmm. do you recommend to find a designer or is it necessary to find a designer that has designed similar products or what's the 
what's the filter that you judge a designer or that, that, you, that you need to use to make sure that a, a designer actually makes it into your kind of like consideration set? Yep. So with our first designer, um, I don't think he had any experience designing products before. Um, he mainly did. Uh, did he mainly do? Yeah, imagine. Yeah, the, our first designer, he mainly did digital graphic design, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, look, generally you want somebody that has experience designing e-commerce products or they're a product designer. But from my experience, yeah, look, I think you can find like if a designer is really talented, they can create the coolest mm. stuff. And I think that's the big takeaway I think that people need to have is like, you want to make your product look awesome. I think that's one place you should spend like a little bit of extra money or a little bit of extra time finding a right designer. Cause yeah, if you find a really talented designer, like yeah, they can do some incredible stuff and it, it pays itself in gold in long, over like the long term. Yeah. I don't think we'd be where we are now with the design I first came up with. <laughs> so um, yeah, really important to invest in a good designer. Well, I, I do want to, I think a, a key lesson here is that do get started, right? Don't just, you know, wait around. I think it's good that you took the efforts to try it out yourself first. And then you got immediate feedback, right, from Nathan. So that was that first round of iterations, at least. So <laughs> at what point were you saying, okay, this is, let's take this to market. At what point did you see the the, the product where you're, okay, this is this is good. Let's take this to, take the, to put this online. Yeah. So, um, yeah, after we, we received a few samples and, yeah, it was like 90% happy with it. Um, yeah, we decided to launch. Um, yeah, we did a pre-sale, right? Yeah, we did a pre-sale. Um, just, yeah, we built up our Instagram account bef- before we launched. So um, we did a few teasers here and there and then slowly started building our following and then kind of directed people from our Instagram to the wait list to pre-order. Yeah, and then Facebook groups as well. Well, I like the let's talk about the pre-sale real quick. So I think you mentioned that, so you mentioned that you built up the Instagram following Instagram account first. I think this is important for a lot of people because they might be in this waiting period where they're either getting it manufactured or they're working through iterations of the prototype and they want to do something with their time. So tell us about this. Like when when did you start building up the, the Instagram account? Yeah, so um I think uh, what happened was uh what what we did was um, we used the photos of the of the sample uh, of the sample and the mock-up of the bottle as the teaser, and um, we created because I yeah we created content that was was relevant to our target market as well. So we had a rule that we we posted once per day because to grow an Instagram account you have to keep it engaged and Instagram. It's a bit funny, but yeah, you you just kind of have to, if you can, post at least once a day. Otherwise, that you just lose engagement, and it's just really bad. So, so we started building up that account at least three months before we launched, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, it wasn't necessarily posting photos of the product all the time um, to begin with. It was um, we had quotes, we used um, just photos from Pinterest, and yeah, just created kind of like a mood board, and then. Yeah, but it was it was the content was relevant to the target yeah. market that we wanted to attract people that would be interested in their health and wellness, and uh, yeah, if if we didn't have different photos of the product or samples of the product, uh, yeah, it was kind of you know photos that we would find on Pinterest, or like Emily said, a mood board, 
And yeah, so that was three months beforehand. So yeah, if we tried to post like at least like, yeah, probably around once a day in preparation for the launch and uh, yeah, tried to build the email list and the wait list for that product. So we just send people to the Shopify uh, wait list um, on the store. And uh, yeah, before we even had the product ready, we did the pre-sale um, and we made a few thousand dollars. How, how long do people have to wait? I can't remember to get the product. It was a few weeks maybe. Yeah, yeah. probably a month. Yeah, months. Um, yeah. yeah. So we used to um, have a – we had a 3PL in China to begin with just because, yeah, we wanted to keep costs low um, and we'll bootstrapping the business. So we had a few problems with the shipping to begin with. It was – yeah, it was – it was um, so they waited four weeks for the product um, to be shipped to them because it was a pre-sale and then um, because we had, you know, not so reliable shipping, it was another kind of three, four weeks on top of that. Um, so, yeah, I was inundated with um, emails from customers saying, yeah, where's my order? Can mm. I get a refund? I've waited too long. Um, but, yeah, that was one of the struggles we had early on. Yeah, but since that, we've moved to a warehouse in the US and Australia, which is where our, our, most of our customers are. Um, and it's yeah been the best decision for our shipping. Yeah, so I, th- I definitely want to talk a little about this building up the Instagram some more because I think you two are like the power duo of building and using Instagram on this podcast so far. So you mentioned creating content that was relevant. I think a lot of people out there understand that, like understand, okay, I got to create content that's relevant. Is that like a gut feeling, intuition, or how, do, how can you do this research-based approach where okay you want to start building up your instagram you want to create content that's going to track that right target audience how do you know i wouldn't say objectively but how do you take steps to make sure that you are at least have some kind of guidelines for what kind of content you should post on your on your instagram i think emily emily you probably should best ask this one because you 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 did all that work yeah i I kind of help yeah yeah yeah. um so because um I don't know, our target audience is um, like females between 18 to 30. Um, I know that, you know, they like all the pretty pictures. That's why they're on Instagram as well. So, um, yeah, we created a visually appealing feed um, and then, yeah, kind of incorporated the water aspect aspect into it um, and just, yeah, I don't know, it provided facts as well. So they knew um, how important it was to drink water. So I think that was um, a great way to set up the account or set up the, the um, yeah, for the launch. Mm-hmm. It was content alone enough to build the following or were there other ways to, to, to get some followers onto your Instagram? Yeah. So, um, we did a couple of things uh, strategically to build the audience before we launched. The first thing was posting regular content at least once a day this is before we launched, even before we launched as well. The second thing that we did was go to competitor products and, uh, you know, engage with uh, their buyers. So as an example, we know that there's a company, I'd I'd probably best not to say, but we know that there's a company that sells like over $100 million a year of um, drink bottles and water bottles, right? And so we can we can go and we can go to their page and we can we can search in the hashtags that you know um, people are buying that particular product, and uh, you know they're posting photos of that particular product and we can um, you know very organically and you know authentically engage and you know uh, I think 
if you do that at least, uh, you know, anywhere between 20 to 50 times a day in a non-spammy way, you can start to really build a curated small following of people that are really, really engaged, that are interested in products like this. Um, that was one thing that we did. And then also, I think the more that you uh, post over time, you start to build up a bit of a following. And then once we launched, um, yeah, we can talk about what we did post-launch, how to build the following. I think it's like 60,000 plus now, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so I, I like this. I like this approach because I, this is like actual work that anyone at any scale can get started by doing. Now, when you talk about engaging with the uh, your competitors, brands, like their hashtags and, and, and engaging with those uh, Instagram users, are you just like what, what? What does it mean to engage? Are you just drop? You know, sometimes you see that obviously spam a lot on a lot of these profiles, and they're dropping kind of like not really valuable comments. They might be oh, cool picture, stuff like that. How do you actually engage with an Instagram user, Instagram Instagram audience in a way that makes them actually want to come back and check out your profile and hopefully follow you? Yeah, so um, there's no kind of uh, kind of hard and fast rule, but one thing that's really important is identifying people that are buying a similar product to you. So if it's a big business and they have a hashtag and they've got like you know fifty thousand people using the hashtag, and when you look at that hashtag, it's photos of the actual products, the competitors' product. Yeah. It, I don't see it as a bad thing to perhaps as a company follow them, you know, look at their most um, recent photos and actually write like something that perhaps is, you know, acknowledging something like around that photo and it's in a non-spammy way like, oh, great photo, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like um, that's something that, that we did in the early days, um, you know, uh, I think – I think uh, there would have been a small proportion of people that if if because we know that they're buyers, there's a big difference between somebody that's a buyer and not a buyer. And if we know that they're interested in buying these kinds of products that, yeah, if you do that over time, it compounds. So to answer your question, what kinds of things would you engage with? Uh, just, you know, acknowledging their photo or, or their latest photo um, in any way, shape, or form, maybe even providing some humor just as a bit of fun. Um, and then, yeah, like uh, following them. And, uh, yeah, you do it in a non-spammy way, though, like no more than maximum 20 to 50 people a day. Like you have to be very, very careful. You don't want to, you know, really push the boundaries and try and do it with hundreds. Um, definitely like between that range. But, you know, one of those people every single day, if you do it over a couple of months, one of those people every day might be a potential person that buys your product or actually really engaged because what's what's really powerful is we know, one, that they're a buyer. We know, two, that they're interested in products like this. And what, what did you identify in their posts or their activity on Instagram that – that flag them as a as a buyer. Are they posting pictures with the competitors' products? Or what are they doing exactly that allows you to say, okay, this person has bought products like like mine? Yeah. So so if we so if we if we searched um, the the competitors' uh, hashtag, um, yeah, it, it would show the the photos of of that competitors' bottle um, from uh, an everyday person like you or I. So we know that they are a buyer. We know that they're interested in products like this. Hey. Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. 
God. Okay, so you mentioned you built up the Instagram following and then you drove them, I guess, throughout this process to a pre-sale page where you collect the email addresses. How? What was the incentive for someone to, to leave their email address for that waiting list? Crazy enough, it was just like launching something along the lines of launching soon, sign up to for the wait list uh, to get the like you know to to get an early bird special or something along those lines, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did have an early bird discount. What did the landing page look like? Did they actually see what the finished product looked like? like? How flushed out or how far along in your manufacturing or design process can you start driving people to a pre-sale page or a waiting list page? So on that landing page, yeah, we did have um, a photo of the product. Um, yeah, so they knew what they were receiving. But I think you can, uh, yeah. So we we started directing people to that page when when we were manufacturing. Um, but you can do it as early on as like before you place the order. Mm. Yeah, you can also use that as a way of validation. Um, I think that's an interesting question because. Um, if somebody signs up to your wait list or your email list um, and they know what the product looks like or what it's going to look like, um, you can use that as a way to work out the interest in your product. Like if heaps of people, like if you're prepared and know how to do Facebook ads or anything like that, if you're prepared to go and show five different products and on Facebook and go, okay, um, these are the different products and then run it to the same audience and then see what the take rate is and what, you know, your your cost for a lead is, you can quickly see which is, you know, the most uh, desirable looking one. Um, that's something to think about. But yeah, look, I think, I think yeah, we, we started doing it once we knew for certain that's how the product was going to look and we chose our manufacturer and, and you know, got the sample and, and, you know, paid for the production. Got it. Okay, so when you had this landing page set up that was, you know, linked in your bio or however you were driving them from Instagram, were when they landed on that landing page, was it just email collection or was it actually putting on a credit card and pre-ordering the product? Oh, it was just um, the email address, and then um, yeah, we sent them an email after with an early bird discount, just closer to um, yeah us. Be like the manufacturer mm-hmm. um, completing the order. Okay, so you, when you were building this this email list, you were you weren't necessarily asking them for for a pre sale order right away. It was once you got closer to the release. Yep, yep. So we built up the interest list. I think we had a, we had at least a few hundred people from memory. It was closer to maybe three hundred to five hundred people that were yeah on the interest list. And, um, yeah, it took a while to produce the product and yeah, like we even did a pre-sale before the product was ready. But when we were getting close, I said to Emily, look, we got to do something. So we, you know, sent, I think, uh, about five emails over a, over a three or four day period just saying, Hey, we're just about like, we're, we're running a, um, a launch. And, um, I remember a couple of weeks before we were showing sneak peeks, we had photos of the product in manufacturing. So like product. Um, I think that looked really cool and we showed photos of, of the boxes and we got people to respond like, you know, hit, hit, we typed like, we wrote like, you know, hit, um, write back to us if you, if you can't wait for the product and stuff like that and try to build up a little bit of engagement around the pre-launch and a bit of hype. 
and uh, yeah, then we did a, a campaign which which closed at a certain time period with that special offer ending. Mm, yeah, I think a lot of people out there might have hesitation with selling something before it exists. Obviously, it's work for you, it works for Kickstarter, it works for Indiegogo. A lot of people are doing this. For, for anyone out there that was just doing this on their own, how do you message it in a way that that gets people to be interested in paying for something that doesn't, I mean, might be in process, progress, or might be in process of being created, but doesn't exist yet? How do you message it in a way that still gets the sale? I think one thing that's really important is uh, to just be authentic around the fact that the product's not ready and you're going to get it on X date or we estimate it's going to be X date. And, yeah, it is kind of scary. Um, I think I think if you look at Kickstarter, that's, that's always a good way to think about it. People are always prepared to do that. Um, fortunately, one thing as well is we, um, because of that course that we created with um, – with Greta for, for my other company, we had email templates that we could use. Those were proven email templates that she'd used uh, for her products every time she launched a new product. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's just one of those things with the messaging. You have to write an email as if you were writing to a friend. Um, I think that's really important. Emily, is there anything you want to share maybe? Yeah, so, yeah, because it's a pre-launch, I think they just want to kind of know – what stage we're at and um, just being really open with them um, with updates. Uh, yeah, I think that's what, you know, will um, yeah, we'll work yeah. really well. For sure. I think, I think the, what I, what I'm happening is I think w- what you guys have gone through was sometimes the fear that a lot of people have, which is that people are getting angry, like where's my product? And if there's delays, talk to us about how you, handled those from a customer service standpoint when people were maybe unhappy that they haven't gotten their product yet or they maybe didn't realize there was a pre-sale? How do you handle that from a customer service standpoint? Emily, uh, you handled that. Uh, I might get her to jump in. But I think this is one thing that's really important is when you do a pre-sale, like be prepared to refund people. If people don't understand or they're like, you know, for whatever reason didn't read like the, in very clearly bolded text that this is a pre-sale, that the order is coming in like X date or X, X amount of weeks or X amount of months even, just be prepared to refund people. I think there's actually nothing wrong if people are really unhappy and they're like, hey, I was misled or whatever. That's fine. Just refund them. And because there are some people, uh, uh, like the majority of people, that just really want the product and, and they're prepared to wait. And that's how you know if you're onto something. Um, if people are really prepared to wait and, you know, like as long as you set expectations, I think setting expectations is the most key part with a pre-sale. And, uh, yeah, how, how did you handle them, Emily? Like um, you, all you can really do is just be kind and pleasant and, yeah, like you maybe jump in like mm. – yeah, just yeah, really um, be really clear with them that yeah, it was a pre-sale, and if they still don't understand, yeah, I would offer a refund. But um, yeah, just I don't know. That's- yeah, that's that's kind of the best the best you can do, right? Right. Yeah, it does seem like once you offer the refund, they're kind of they have they have nothing else to necessarily complain about at that point. So I, I think that's reassuring that there's always a solution if you're obviously able to offer the refund. So let's talk about the the actual creation, the manufacturing of the product. What was that process like to find a manufacturer? Yes, yeah, so I found my manufacturer off Alibaba. Um, so yeah, I did 
get a few samples from a few suppliers. But um, yeah, I thought this one was promising. So I was going to ask, how, how long did it take to find a manufacturer? Yeah, pretty much. Like uh, I think it took like at least a good couple of months to find a manufacturer. And I think the key parts to take away there is is kind of we were going up and back and like wanting to get the samples. There was a couple that we used we whether we weren't happy with the sample right and you know um that that takes time it it actually takes a bit of time probably more time than we thought going up and back with different manufacturers on the sample being happy with this with the sample and getting the product right and then also being confident or having that confidence to say you know what I'm going to spend a bit of money on like a minimum order quantity of stock like thousands of dollars and and it's going to actually be done and, and you know, the work's like it's not going to be faulty and all these different things. And then you've got to get the product inspected and stuff like that. And we used Asia inspection to, to make sure we like the product was all good um, and like everything was done that was said. And if there were defaults, they would fix it. Um, so if there were faults, they would fix it. Awesome. Now, when you were producing this for the first time, do you remember how large that first order was? How big, how much inventory did you order at first? Uh, yeah, so we ordered, I think that, uh, I think we ordered 3,000 units to begin with. I think it, that's usually the minimum order quantity for mm-hmm. most of these manufacturers. But yeah, that was with our first design. The, the second time, the, when we made our second order, we, we slowly increased it just so, um, yeah, just as we were gained more confidence with that right. manufacturer. That makes sense. Now, when you were ordering that first time, like that was more inventory than you had pre-sold or how much of a difference was there between how much you had already pre-sold and how much you had to order? Oh, so yeah, look, um, we did the pre-sell and, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, we did the pre-sell and uh, that was like once we'd placed that MOQ order. So once we we ordered the 3,000 and they were being made, et cetera, et cetera. And then after like maybe a month or so, we did the pre-sell. Got it. Okay, makes sense. Let's talk about then moving those units that you guys got. So I th- you mentioned to us that influencer marketing on Instagram at scale is how you've been able to grow this business again to what we mentioned earlier on is a seven-figure business at this point. Talk to us more about this. Like, how do you first start off? Like, let's say someone out there has never even engaged with an influencer to do Instagram to to from the, help them advertise on Instagram. Where do you begin? Like, what was that first step to getting your first uh, influencer? Yeah, so I think it's um, important to identify the type of influencer um, for your business, and also, yeah, just um, finding who's the best fit. Um, so I came up with a list of, uh, criteria for the influencers and then, um, yeah, just started reaching out to them via email. Um, yeah, just because we have such a, like a low cost item to produce, um, where we can afford to send to hundreds of influencers per month now. Um, so yeah, we would, we would send the product as a gift or um, have like a contra deal with the influencer where they would post in exchange for product. And then sometimes um, as as the business matured, um, we paid for sponsored posts. Now, you mentioned a list of criteria to start. And obviously, you, the product was uh, was able to be manufactured uh, cheaply enough in order for you to be able to send out as many products as you could. For anyone out there that needs to be more selective, what do you recommend for that list of criteria? How do you identify whether an influencer is going to be a good fit or not? 
Well, I think at the beginning, like you can kind of pick people in the different niches and see what what actually works for you and then decide to go down that um, path. Um, For example, we worked with a vegan influencer and it didn't work too well for us just because I think our um, audiences just didn't align. Um, So, yeah, we didn't really uh, work with vegan um, influencers for sponsored posts anymore. Um, But what really worked for us was like working with YouTubers and um, reality TV influencers just because, you know, they've got a big following or a big audience um, that uh, has their trust because, you know, they've been on TV or um, they just, yeah, can communicate with their yeah, look, uh, I think when it comes to identifying influencers, the best the, the, the best ones to work with are like the ones that, that suit your target market that you're looking for. And it takes trial and error. So as Emily said, um, we're in a fortunate position where the, the product is, you know, relatively low cost where we can afford to send out to many. Um, so we just sent out to many subsections of the market. So we sent out to uh, fashion bloggers, we sent out to uh, fitness influencers, we sent out to uh, even, uh, you know, vloggers, uh, we sent out to uh, people that, um, like, you know, uh, in all sorts of different niches and markets. And then uh, we could kind of see when somebody posted what that result would be and we kind of refined it. So it's a little bit of trial and error mm-hmm. in regards to kind of choosing the influences. We're, we're always looking for ones with good engagement. I think that's a, a really good takeaway to have. You don't just want to send to anyone or work with anyone. And I think it's really important as well to actually study their account, like spend, you know, that extra couple of minutes. You can't spend the time to to, you know, like you know, it can't spend like 10 minutes or 20 minutes on each individual account. But there's a tool that you can use called Social Blade. So if you go to Social Blade, you can look up that Instagram influencer's actual Instagram account and you can see how many followers they are either gaining every day or losing. Now, if they are losing followers every day, there's actually a high possibility that they're, they've bought followers or their account is just not engaged. But if you find an account uh, or an influencer that like is, is growing every day and and you look at the engagement of like their past six to 12 images and you can see that there's real people commenting and they have an actually really strong relationship, then that's somebody that you should be open to working with because it's not the size of the following, it's the relationship that that influencer has with their audience. And the more that they're prepared, the more that the influencer spends time on video, so doing daily Instagram stories, or they do YouTube as well, then the stronger the relationship they have with their community. So when they use the Healthish Bottle and they, you know, if they want to, we don't even ask people to, to post if they don't want to, we actually just say, look, if you love the product, we'd love for you to share it and share it with your com- share it with your community or your fans or your audience. So we want to create a great product that people really love and and they're happy to receive in for a contra deal or a sponsored post or whatnot. And yeah, they want to recommend it because it's actually changed their life. It's like an incredible product, and I think that's a big 
takeaway for people is people think, oh, you know, with influencer marketing, it's like, what can I take from influencers? And it's not like that at all. It's it's something, this is something I learned from the high smile guys and they, they are massive. Um, it, it's about that. What's the win-win for, for the influencer and for the brand? Mm, okay. So I think just to recap, you mentioned casting like a wide net of different niches, different channels, even whether it be YouTube or Instagram and trial and error, see what works, what doesn't work. Um, and can you tell us about how do you measure success? How do you measure if a relationship with an influencer is worth continuing or not, whether it's a good, it was a good fit or not? Yeah, I think um, it's twofold. One is the content that you get. Um, I think that's something that people often mislook is like for like us right now with Healthish, we don't have to create any content because we have so many of our customers and also influencers uh, working with us to create this incredible content for us every single day. So if you look at the content that we produce, it's for our stories and for our Instagram feed. It's it's created by our community and our fans and and also um, influencers. So that's so that's a big thing. To create content all the time takes a lot of work, and that part we've now outsourced by like crowdsourced, which is. I think something that's really important, so the success of the content, how good it looks, how engaging it is, that's the first measurement. And then the second measurement, of course, is, um, you know, do, do we see a spike in sales? Uh, we, we just want to get the product into the hands of as many people as possible. So, um, yeah, I think I think that they're, they're the two kind of measurements of success. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Now, when you actually tactically measure this, is it just to like a discount code or how do you actually identify if the sale is driven from a particular influencer? Yeah, so we do provide um, an influencer with a unique discount code. So that's how we can track how effective their post was. Um, sometimes, you know, when, when they post on their story, we get a huge influx in, of sales as well. So, yeah, that's how we know whether it's worked. Mm-hmm. Now, in all the deals that you've done with influencers, like what is the ideal deal that you always want to work towards like in terms of how often or what are they posting? When are they posting? What is the uh, that ideal influencer relationship? Yeah, so from our experience, um, working once you work with one influencer, uh, that kind of result kind of dies down um, because I think what happens is an influencer has a core group of, you know, like let's just say they have a hundred thousand followers. There might be only one to two thousand that are like, like their core group. They might, you know, watch every video or they might watch, read every post or, or they're just really engaged. Their level of attentiveness is very, very high, right? So if you do a post with them, let's just say a hundred people from the hundred thousand, they've got a thousand or two thousand of really their core group. They just love everything that they do, whatever, right? They're a big fan. And let's just say a hundred buy from from that group. Once you once you want to work with them again, you 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 the the results really deteriorate very, very fast. And that's something that we uh learned from trial and error. Like if we worked with an influencer, let's just say we sent them the product and you know they posted on their Instagram stories and we noticed a massive spike in sales, then we're like, oh, okay, well. Maybe we might want to do a paid, um, uh, you know, a paid collaboration with this influencer. After that, um, you know, we'll do the paid collaboration, and we'll see a big boost in sales because they post on the feed. 
getting influencers to post on the feed versus stories um, always brings a better result. We've found from uh, testing. And then um, let's say we want to work with them again. When we work with them again, the, the results uh, are nowhere near as good um, as, as the first time. Um, so we tend to just kind of, yeah, we, we if we do pay, we only really pay once. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's what we've found. God. Okay, so that that is why you have tried to scale this up working with influencers at scale rather than repeating a deal with an influencer. So what, what does it mean to to go at scale? Like how many influencers are we talking about at this point? So um, our goal is 300 influencers a month to send out product to. I think I've been, <laughs> I think I've been a bit under that the past few months, but um, yeah, that really works well for us. And then, um, you know, when I speak to these influencers, influencers are just like oh yeah I've seen your product it's just all over my feed because um you know we've sent to so many people so it's really good to get your brand out there and just um yeah just share it with everyone awesome so we talked about a couple of resources so far we mentioned dribble behance social blade the courses on founder what other resources or tools or apps do you guys rely on to run the business uh so for us social proof is key um, I, yeah, swear by looks. Um, so yeah, it's really easy to use and just, you know, you're able to send, uh, just email reminders to customers, um, to, yeah, to write in a review and then you can also offer a discount code. Um, FOMO is a really good app as well. And, um, back in stock, which was when, yeah, when we sold out of stock, it was, uh, yeah, really easy to integrate. And as soon as we updated our stock levels. It was just an email was automatically sent out to the people on that list. Yeah. So I reckon personally, I reckon that, um, that FOMO, that FOMO tool, that Shopify FOMO tool, that's so cool because it automates your follow-up on getting reviews and you know, how many reviews we have? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Looks. So let me, let me say that again. Yeah. So that looks tool. So that looks tool is like, I believe it's one of the best tools out there because it automates uh, your follow-up on um, like to get reviews from people. And if you look at like our site, like how many how many reviews do we have now? At least a few hundred. Yeah. Yeah, at least a few hundred. And we can use that on the checkout page. We can use that like as a standalone page because what people are looking for is if they've never heard of the brand, which is a lot of people that are coming to our website or – you know, they, they've kind of found out about the product. Um, they're looking that, you know, they, they don't have a very high trust level. So how can we increase that that trust? It's it's just from sheer volume of reviews from my experience. And, uh, yeah, that looks tool really helps us. Awesome. So healthish.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-I-S-H.com is a website. I'll leave you this last question. What do you think needs to happen this year for you to consider the year a success? I'll answer first and then I'll let Emily. Uh, for me personally, um, I think for us, uh, we've got some uh, revenue targets, probably best not to share what they are, but um, for us to, to bring out some more products, I think it's going to be really important to bring out some more products um, that that really help people, like not just in the uh, you know water bottle space, like we've got the water bottle, we've got some complementary products around that. But yeah, I think it's going to be really important to bring out some products not in that space and uh, build out our recurring revenue and just kind of diversify and, and uh, yeah, not just be a one-product business. That would be success for me. 
Yeah, me too. And yeah, obviously um, still continue with the influencer marketing, but we're also doubling down on um, Facebook ads too. So um, yeah. yeah. So getting that working as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Emily and Nathan. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.